Joseph's life. And there's a lot of things that were involved in that. And it's a really cool story. This is going to be kind of the second half of his life. And there's a, a few important truths that I believe we can take from this story and Joseph here that apply to each and every one of us. Whether you're in middle school, high school, or whether you're retired, I think it applies to each and every one of us. And there's some great things we can learn from this story. So if you look, turn your Bibles tonight, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. And this story will consist over chapters 41 through 45. We're not going to hit on everything. There's a lot you can dive into this story. We're just going to hit on some important facts that I feel like God was calling me to tell you guys for our church family. And then apply directly to what we're going through. So if you guys remember from last week, uh, we left off where Joseph was in the pit. He was in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. But um, the king's wife uh, basically accused him of uh, trying to commit adultery. So he got thrown into the worst possible prison he could be in. And he was in the worst place of his life, in this dark prison with all these bad criminals. And he interpreted some dreams of some criminals that were there. And he told the criminal, um, the cupbearer, that if he gets, when his dream comes true, and he gets restored back to power, he says, the only thing I ask of you is that you remember me. You tell the king about me so I can be restored back to power as well. Well, as you guys know from last week, that didn't happen. The cupbearer gets restored back to power. Totally forgets about Joseph. And so we pick up in, in chapter 41. And this is two full years later. He's still in the pit. So I want you guys to think about, if you're Joseph, you're doing everything right. You didn't deserve to be there in the first place. While you were there, you helped somebody else out that didn't deserve it. And you were nice. You were kind to those around you. And yet you stayed another two years in the worst possible prison. So this is when the story picks up here. And um, if I ask you guys today, if anybody's ever had a, a really weird dream, you know, one of those dreams you wake up and you're like, oh, that was, that was a little bizarre. You know, I wonder what that means. Uh, I think we've all had one of those in our lifetime. But some, some of us have the same kind of dream over and over, uh, and that happens still. Sometimes God speaks to us in that way. Uh, and it's a, it's a very powerful way that God sometimes can speak to us. It may not be that what you're dreaming about is actually going to come true, but there may be a deeper story in that dream somewhere. And that's what we're going to look at today. Pharaoh has this really bizarre and weird dream, and he's freaked out about it. He's like, well, this is weird. It keeps happening, and I don't know what it means. And this is how Joseph's fortune is about to change in the story. So we're going to look at the dream that Pharaoh has here in Genesis 41. starts in verse 1. And it says here, then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came out, out of the river seven cows, five looking and fat. And again, if you're praying this and seven cows are coming out of the river, that's going to be a little odd. Okay? Uh, and then it gets weirder. It says, then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven five looking fat cows. I mean, if you're dreaming this, it's kind of like a horror story. I mean, that's this. That would be pretty uh, scarring. And then it says, so Pharaoh awoke, which I probably went to at that point. Uh, and then he said he slept and drank a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blinded by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a drink. So, again, this is a really bizarre dream. If you're dreaming about cows coming up out of the river and other cows eating those cows in front of you, it's 
going to be a little concerning. I'll probably be waking up too and be like, what is going on? And so Pharaoh's really freaked out at this point. He's asking all these people, the magicians in the land, all those in high power. He's like, guys, what does this mean? Somebody's got to tell me. Like, God's telling me something, but I don't get it. And nobody can interpret the dream. And, and, and nobody had any answers. I mean, at that time, you got to think about this. You're a magician or like a sorcerer or somebody like that. If you tell the king what his dream means, you're going to be promoted in power. You're going to be raised up in society. And so it's kind of ironic that none of these magicians made up a story. We don't hear about that at all. You, you know, nobody said, oh, this could mean this or this, just to promote themselves. It was such a bizarre and such a weird dream that nobody even could make up a reasonable excuse of what it meant, which is, I think, is pretty fascinating. And so then this is where Joseph is going to come into play. And um, our, point, our first point tonight, and if you're taking notes, it's a good point to write down, is when God calls you, will you be ready? So God is eventually going to call Joseph into this position of power that was prophesied years and years prior. Remember, he was a 17-year-old kid and had that dream that he was going to be a king. At this point, he's 30. Okay, So this is 13 years later. And again, God, is, God doesn't move right away. He, he makes him go through the pit. He makes him go through these hard times before he eventually calls him. But when God eventually does call Joseph to be this leader, he's ready. And that's what I want you guys to think about in your own lives today. When God eventually does call us to do something great for him, or calls us to move here or to move here, are we ready and prepared spiritually to do that? And I want you guys to listen to uh, Genesis 41, verses 14 through 16. And it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him quickly, it's an important word there, quickly, out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there was no one who could interpret it. But I have heard it was said of you, you can understand dreams and interpret them. And again, this is two years after the cupbearer got restored to power. He finally tells the king, oh, by the way, this guy can interpret dreams. Uh, maybe you should call him. Um, so he finally calls him. And so I want you guys to listen to verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of a river. Suddenly, and seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly. I think it's, the, the, the wording here is very interesting. Poor and very ugly cows. And God in such ugliness as I had never seen in all the land. These are some pretty ferocious cows. And the God ugly cows ate up the seven, the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were completely gone uh, from the beginning. So I awoke. So then he tells Joseph the rest of his dream. And Joseph is able to accurately interpret what's about to happen here. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I want you guys to think about that God may not instruct you to do something of huge significance right now in your life. Maybe you don't have this, the job you want. Maybe you don't have the position of power you want. Maybe the church isn't growing like you want it to. And maybe, maybe God isn't moving the way you think he, he should right now. But in this moment where you feel like you might be in the pit or the dungeon or in a low part of your life, God is preparing you for something great later. And in the moment where you're in the pit, we're in the low areas of life. 
can be the most critically important in your life because if you don't prepare yourself, then when God eventually does give you an opportunity, you won't be ready. You will stay in that pit. And so like Joseph, now I want you guys to think about something in this passage. In verses 14, it says they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And when Pharaoh realized that he could interpret dreams, and this could be the solution, he got immediately pulled up to power. He's like, hey, Joseph, come on up here. And if Joseph wasn't ready, if he was freaking out, couldn't say, they stumbled over his words, he probably would have said, okay, fine, you know, this is a mistake, go back to the dungeon. But as soon as he brought Joseph up, he was ready to give a response and an answer. And in our life today, you know, we look at society around us, and society in a lot of ways is uh, going farther and farther away from the gospel and farther away from the Bible, and they're making, our country is making laws and policies that are, you know, in total disagreement with what the Bible says. But I think that God has prepared us that there's going to be a time when we have a chance to respond, to stand up to the, to the governors, to stand up to those that are making these policies, to stand up to how society is going, and to really preach the gospel, to shine a light in the darkness, to share the truth of the lost world around us, whatever that looks like in your life. And if we're not ready spiritually, if we're not preparing while we're in the dungeon, while we're in this dark time, then we're not going to see the great revival that God is hopefully preparing for us in the future. And so um, I want you guys to listen to what Joseph says the dream means. This is going to be important later on. It's in the uh, same thing, chapter 41, and it starts in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years as well. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land, because the famine will be so severe, and it will you will deplete the land. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will surely bring it to pass. So when a dream is given multiple times, sometimes that means that God is saying, hey, this is for sure going to happen. You're not changing my mind on this. This is set in stone. And that's an interesting point there. Uh, and then in verse 33 it says, now therefore, now again, Joseph has been in the dungeon for multiple years. Okay, He hasn't been in a position of power. All of a sudden, he has this great opportunity to tell the king what his dream means. And he could have stopped there. But Joseph takes it a step further and says, Now, king, I'm going to actually tell you what you should do about this. I'm going to actually give you instructions on how to respond. And back then, this would have been a crazy thing for a servant to do or a slave because nobody tells the king what to do. But again, Joseph was ready to respond, and he responded in this way. He says, Now, therefore, let Pharaoh, talking to Pharaoh, uh, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce uh, in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep good food in the cities. Then the food that shall be a reserve for the land when the seven years of famine come and the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a man? 
And who is the Spirit of God that can do this? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you in the land. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Not only in regard to the throne, or I'm sorry, only in regard to the throne, will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So think about this. Because Joseph was ready to respond when God called him, when God was ready to use him, God establishes him as a ruler over all the land of Egypt. He now becomes in this tremendous position of power and authority, where he can now influence thousands of people in the land for God. And again, the reason Pharaoh looked to Joseph was not only because he had this gift, it was because he had the Spirit of God about him. He could see the Spirit of God in Joseph. And he said, no one else in the land has the same kind of presence and spirit you do. This is what we talked about last week a little bit. When you're living for God and you're shining the light and the Spirit dwells within you, people notice a difference in your life. When you're truly living for God and you, and you have His Spirit within you, you start producing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. Think about all the patience Joseph endured while he was in the pit. The love and the kindness he showed to people when they didn't deserve it, he deserved to be there. This kind of spirit sticks with people. And they see a difference in you, and people want to be around that. And they want to know how you have this extra joy and this peace that they don't have, especially in times of suffering. And that's why Joseph gets put in this position. And so in our own lives today, I, I, I kind of parallel this. I thought, well, how does it parallel? You know, we don't have the kings and the rulers like they did back then in, in America. We have the president, but it's different. And I, I thought about a firefighter. Think about this. Uh, this kind of sounds weird. But think about a firefighter. When they get called into action, they have to be ready to go right then. When a fire happens, there's no thinking about, okay, what should I do? You know, what does the rule book say on this and this? It's springing to action. You have limited time to save this person or whatever's going on. But before they go into action, they spend weeks to months to years in training. You know, just going over firefighter school, going over the rules, the policies, going over practices, you know, in different situations. So when that call eventually comes, they can respond in the right way. Same thing with police, same thing with EMTs, people that work in the emergency field. You know, also the same thing is true in sports as well. You look at like an ad, like a pitcher in baseball. You know, you have what they call the bullpen in baseball, where all the pitchers are kind of sitting there warming up for a while. Well, they're not. They may or may not go in the game. But if the game gets to a point where they need to call on that pitcher, he's expected to be ready to go right when he's called on and perform at the highest of level. Now, again, he doesn't just walk out there and perform this way. They practice for years and years and years to have the opportunity to hopefully be called on eventually in the major leagues one day. And when they get called on, they're expected to be ready. Now, in our life today, we don't necessarily have to be, if you're not a firefighter or an athlete, you don't necessarily have to be ready for that kind of intense action. But we're all Christians, or hopefully we are. And if you're a true follower of Christ and a Christian, you're expected to be ready to answer things spiritually, ready to respond spiritually to different situations. And when God calls on you, you're expected to be able to give a response for your faith. It talks about in the Bible, you know, there's going to be times in your life that come up where you're going to have to give a response to your faith. You're going to be, somebody's going to question you. Somebody's going to question your belief systems. The society's going to come down and question the way we do things. And in those moments, God's saying, I'm calling on you to rise up, to be my people, you know, to be my hands and feet, and to respond the right way. 
Also, think about this. People in society that, you know, are poor and needy and the orphan and the widows, God calls us to respond and take care of them. So all of a sudden, the church, something happens, the church responds and helps that person out. But if we're not preparing ourselves while we're in the pit, while nothing's really going on, then when God eventually calls our number and says, hey, Bradley, it's time for you to respond, we're not going to respond in the right way. We're not going to respond like Joseph. We're not going to be ready. Um, and, and so how do you get ready in the pit? I think there's three things here. You grow in the knowledge of God. Why, if God's not using you in a mighty way right now, that's okay. Why are you in this low area in this pit? Grow in the knowledge of God. Study His Word. You can't give a response for how the Bible says to live. You don't know what the Bible says. I mean, that's, that's something I've seen a lot of times in our youth and young adults. You know, what they teach in schools now is shocking in some ways. You know, what your classmates are going to say is the truth and what's the most important thing. It may not align with the Bible. But if you don't really know what the Bible says differently, how can you give a response back to that? And it can be easily, you can be easily swayed into thinking just the same way the society does. So grow in your knowledge of God. Also grow in your obedience. Start doing the little things right. You know, in your everyday life, when you wake up, start doing the little things right. Start reading. Start praying. You know, start seeking God in the little things. And this is going to get to point two in a second. And then the last thing on how you grow in the pit is you start sharing what God has and is doing in your life. If you want to get more confident, share your faith. So when God eventually calls on you to, to, to stand up for something or to, to witness to somebody or to share your faith with somebody that maybe is lost, start talking to your friends about your church. Start talking to your friends about what God's doing in your life. Start sharing your faith with those in your workplace, those you interact with. Because the more you share, the more confidence you get. And then and eventually when God calls you to speak to that person you thought you could never speak to, now you're ready. You know, I, I'm sure there's somebody in our life, we really think about it, there's somebody in each of our lives that we probably have a hard time witnessing to. It may be a family member, it may be a co-worker, it may be a classmate, a teammate. It could be anybody in your life that is just really shut off from the gospel. And you know if I reach out to them today, they're going to come back to me with all these excuses. They're going to come back to me and be mad and angry, all this. Well, don't start off with that person then. Start off with somebody else and start sharing your faith with that person. Start growing your confidence. Start growing in your knowledge of God. And then eventually God will open that door. Pray for that person. Pray that God opens that door. And eventually when that door is open, where you can talk to that person, you will be, you'll be more confident to share what God's truth is with them. They may or may not accept it. You'll at least have the confidence and the ability to do so and plant that seed. You never know how that seed may be water later on. And so um, before we get to point number two, I actually laid out testaments back there in the back. It's like in the shape of a cross route you lead today. Uh, I, my challenging goal for you guys tonight is to find that find that one person that you feel like you need to share the gospel with. It could be a family member, a friend, like I said, a co-worker that God's put on your heart. And again, if you want to see God start moving your life, you have to take baby steps. Maybe don't reach out to the hardest person, but find somebody that doesn't really go to church, somebody that maybe is not a Christian, and start praying for them and seeking a way to, to open up to them. And then I want you to give them that testament. You know, whether it's at work or whether it's at school or, you know, maybe go to, your, go to their house and say, hey, I've been praying for you. I just feel like God told me to give you this. You know, it could be something simple like that. And you don't have to go into a big conversation with them if you don't want to, but just give them the testament. Start there. And so as we leave today, I want everybody to take at least one testament with them. If you want to take more before you can, 
And your goal is to give it to that one person that God put in your heart to share with. And then once you start growing your confidence, take some more and give out to multiple people. And then you'll be ready when those doors open up for those really hard conversations to also give to those people. And number two tonight is when you do the little things well, God sets you over the big things. And then this is why I want you guys to kind of start doing the testament thing. Is if you can start doing that and start sharing your faith that way, whether it's just giving somebody a testament or a track or whatever, your confidence grows. God starts to trust you with bigger things. If he can trust you to do the little things well, God starts to open more doors in your life, more opportunities to share, more opportunities to witness to those you thought you could never witness to, and all of a sudden your influence starts to grow for God in his kingdom. You know, you talk about Joseph getting placed second in command. You look here in Genesis 41, 37 through 40, and again it says, um, well, certain 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you, and now you should be over everything in Egypt. <clears throat> Joseph is now the ruler in all of Egypt, but he started off by being faithful in the pit. He was faithful in the little things. You know, think about all the opportunities God gave Joseph in his life. He was in the pit with the cupbearer uh, and the baker. He shared with them. He was uh, his brother. They were mean to him. They basically sold him and thought about killing him. He was still nice to them. And everywhere he went, people realized, man, this guy has a spirit about him. And he, and he shared his faith in every place that he went. So eventually, when God opened the biggest door possible, he was ready and confident. He did the little things well. And so when the big thing eventually came, he was ready for it. So I want you guys to think about in your life today, what are the little things that God's calling you to do? You know, for our students, it could be talking to that person at school that is unpopular. Sit with them at lunch. Maybe you just say hey to them in the hallway. Maybe you pray for somebody that at your work is going through a hard time. Say, hey, can I, can I take a moment and pray for you? I know you've been struggling lately. Do the little things well, and the more you start doing the little things well, again, your confidence grows, and eventually God will start to put you over the big things and open up bigger doors and bigger opportunities to witness more and more. You know, likewise, think about our church today. God may not send new families to Lagardo until he knows we're ready to receive them. You know, you think about that. You know, we, we won't, we, all of us in the church want new families. We want new people to come. We want our church to grow. But maybe God is not sending those people because he knows if he sends them right now, they're not going to stay. They're going to leave. Maybe we're not in a place where we're ready to receive them. I think that's where we have to start first is look at our own heart, look at our own lives and say, if we had a lot of new people come in, if we had a lot of lost people from Lagardo come in on a Sunday morning, would we really be ready to receive them and witness to them? Would they feel comfortable? Would we be able to talk to them? Would we feel comfortable talking to them? And think about that. You know, God needs people in the church willing to obey him not only when things are good, but also when things are tough and you feel like you're in the pit. Are we really that church yet? We expect God to bless us in mighty ways, but God is not going to bless his church if they're not honoring him and doing the things he wants them to do. You know, so I think if you look today, if there are areas in your life, or even in our church, where we're doing things our way because we want it that way, or we've always done it that way, or because we believe it's the best way, and we're neglecting to look at what God's calling us to do, how God's calling us to move, how maybe God's calling us to change, that we have to rid ourselves of those mindsets, those ideas, those principles first, 
before we can ex expect God to really bless our church. We can't expect God to bring in new families and new people if we're not doing things God's way. And I, I think this is something that I've seen lately that all of us have opinion about things or how things should be done, how we should operate, how we should function. But how many of us are really spending time in prayer saying, God, what do you want for regard What do you want us to do? How do you want us to change? If we had a bunch of lost people, like I said, coming out on a Sunday morning that were very different from us, maybe different cultures, different races, they weren't Christians, if they came in here, how would we talk to them? How would we witness to them? How would we respond to them? And if the answer is we don't know, then again, we need to start there first. Start doing the little things right and expect God to eventually do the big things. We can't, we can't just expect people to come in and then not be able to witness to them when they're here. And then lastly is when God does bless us and when God blesses you in your own life, turn that blessing back around and bless others and bless him. You know, at this point in Joseph's life, he's been he eventually gets blessed abundantly. He gets in leadership. He gets a wife. He gets children. He's living a good life. Okay, Joseph is higher than power. He's probably feeling pretty good about himself. And if you guys are, are, are like me, if I went through all the things that Joseph went through, and now all of a sudden I'm a king, and I have all this stuff, stuff in, my, in my life, I may not be thinking about others first. You know, I may be thinking, hey, this is great. I'm going to enjoy this, sit back, and just take in the blessings. But Joseph doesn't do that. You know, many of us will look inward and relish the blessings, but Joseph looks outward, even to those who harmed him, to see how maybe he can turn his blessings around and bless others as well. You know, his family actually comes in um, to Egypt. During the famine, the famine happens, so they have seven good years. They do exactly what Joseph said. They store up the extra grain, so they have all this leftover grain. And then when the seven bad years come, everybody comes to Egypt to buy the grain because they don't have any food including Joseph's brothers that sold him years and years ago. And now, they don't recognize Joseph at first. And if you read through chapters 42 through 44, he plays some tricks on them and jokes around with them for a while and makes them go different directions and, and puts them in like a prison for a little bit and just kind of toys with them. But eventually, he reveals himself to them. And when he does, instead of saying, hey, you guys treated me terrible, you tried to kill me, you know, you don't deserve any of this grain, he gives them more than anybody else in the land. And he ends up getting on a high, one of the highest places in all of Egypt for his brothers and his dad to eventually live in. And you think about, I mean, how could Joseph do that? You know, how does he have that kind of faith? One of the greatest blessings we can give somebody else into God is forgiveness. You know, there's people in our life that are going to hurt us. Churches are going to hurt us. Jobs are going to hurt us. And the more we hold on to that regret and that grudge and that anger and that bitterness, it, it hurts us spiritually. We can't be the people we're called to be until we let go of what is, is eating up us on the inside. And one of the greatest blessings you can give God and other people is to forgive them for the wrong they've done to you. And there's some people that don't, don't, don't deserve it. Um, but in all honesty, we don't deserve God's forgiveness. He gave it to us. You know, each of us have done things in our lives and we don't deserve what Jesus did on the cross for us, but yet he still came and died for us. So if Jesus can forgive us and bless us, then we can forgive those who do us wrong and bless them. And when you use your gifts and time to bless others, God ultimately is the one that's blessed in return. So if you're in a time of blessing right now, stop and think about those around you. 
Think about those in the church. Think about those in your community. Think about those in your family that could use a blessing, even if they don't deserve it. And think about how, how, how can I bless that person and shine a light to them today? Because by blessing that person, even when they don't deserve it, may point them back to God and lead them into a saving faith in Jesus. You know, Joseph's family, when Joseph ends up basically blessing them and forgiving them, they grow in their relationship with God. And, and the whole land and the generations to follow start taking suit and following God as well. So your little seed you plant, your little blessing to help somebody else who doesn't deserve it, could grow into a beautiful tree of, of people and generations to come that follow God and start changing the culture and society around us. So think about those that don't deserve a blessing. Maybe God is still calling you to give to them. How can you do that? If you give them a blessing from God, you never know how that might change their lives in the future. And I want to read you guys off this last part here in Joseph's life here in Genesis chapter 45. And it's, it's just really powerful uh, when you think about forgiveness and blessing others, when God eventually does open that door and blesses you and you come into that position of power. It says, And Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near, and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but truly it was God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and a lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your households and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. Now catch this next part here. Think about it, you're the brothers of Joseph. You did all these bad things to your brother. He's in this huge position of power. He could basically have you killed or put in prison. And he just told you that you put me here, God actually is the one who put me here to save not only your life, but those around me. And I'm going to bless you now in return. Think about how you would feel. And it says, Behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all the glory of Egypt. Then it says, And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals in the park, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your household, and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. 